In his book titled Community, author Peter Block says, the future is created one room at a time, one gathering at a time. Each gathering needs to be an example of the future we want to create. Throughout this Welcome Table series, we've been looking at the different parts of a meal. And our story today with Cleopas and his other disciple give us an example of people who implement every element of, every, of hospitality, every element of welcoming Jesus. First, when Jesus comes alongside them, they invite him to join them. They don't go ahead to get away or shun him from them. Even in their grief and in their disappointment, they welcome him alongside. And then they pay attention. They aren't worried and distracted by many things like we heard Martha was a few weeks ago. They listen to what Jesus has to say. When it appears that Jesus is going to go on ahead of them, they invite him over to their house for dinner. They're not worried if there's going to be enough for everybody, and they're not interested in building bigger barns to keep their abundant produce like the rich fool we read about a couple of weeks ago. Additionally, Jesus is literally someone they just pulled off the highway and had over to dinner, just like the parable of the great banquet that Jesus tells. These men are interested in lasting relationships and ongoing conversation. And then at the dinner, the guest becomes the host. There's this role reversal, just like we saw with Zacchaeus last week. Here, Jesus takes the bread, he blesses and breaks it, and then he gives it to these followers, and their eyes are opened, they are transformed, just like the diminutive tax collector. They recognize that they are in the presence of the risen Lord. The greeting, the attentiveness, the menu, and the meal, all of these are spaces where the risen Lord appears to us. But there's an additional moment, one final moment that is of great importance to these two followers and of great importance to us. It's the moment where this room becomes an example, to borrow Peter Block's words, of the future we want to create. In crafting this sermon series, I looked for a word that describes that time after a meal when people remain at the table and they continue to engage in conversation, that time when you push your chair back and you plop your napkin on the plate in front of you, that time when the coffee's been passed around but you pick up the pot and you pour a second lukewarm cup because you just don't want to stand up yet. That time when more laughter and stories are told or when people begin to reflect more seriously and perhaps tears are shed. That time before you're thinking about the chores that await you at home, where you're checking your watch, where you start to clear the table of dishes. And I couldn't find an English word for this time at dinner. Perhaps that's instructive to us about our own culture and our own values. 
But I did find a word for this time in Spanish. In Spanish, the word is sobremesa. Sobremesa means most directly over the table or across the table. But it's defined this way, time spent in conversation, digesting, relaxing, enjoying, certainly not rushing, not reserved for weekends, though it can be longest on Sundays. Even weekday and business meals have sobremesas. For Spaniards, how we eat is as important as what we eat. The sobremesa is the moment where the future we want is created. And it's in this moment of sobremesa that Cleopas and this other disciple figure out what has just happened. Their eyes are opened in that moment after the meal. Now, some of you literalists might contend, but that's not how the story plays out. Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes are immediately opened, and then he vanishes. There's no reflection time here, but I'm asking you to just let your imagination wander a bit today. Think about what could have happened. Cleopas and this other disciple, they could have immediately started clearing the dishes. They could have gone about the evening chores. They could have flipped the day planner to the next day and began to discuss who was going to get what done on the to-do list. But instead, they push back from the table. They stare at one another through the candlelight, and they consider what they have just experienced. Were not our hearts burning within us while we were with him on the road as he was opening the Scriptures to us? Did you see what I saw? Did you hear what I heard? It is this moment of sobremesa that Cleopas and the other disciple realize that their future has changed. How they recount that their hearts burned within them while they were in Jesus' presence. How something awoke within their soul they didn't even know was there while he was discussing the scriptures with them. How when he broke the bread, it was as though they had never seen before, but now they could see everything clearly. Their eyes were opened to resurrection. They realized that they belonged to resurrection. They belonged to grace. I wonder if our lack of sobremesa causes us to miss all these moments where the risen Christ is before us. We can start by just literally looking at our habits of eating. Frozen dinners consumed in front of the television. Grubhub delivered to the door. Uh, drinking your breakfast from a can on the way to the office. Going through the drive-thru after you pick up the kids from practice or rehearsal. Uh, the CDC reports that one in three Americans every day, one in three Americans, 33% of people in our country, eat at least one of their meals at a fast food restaurant. But then there are those times you manage to get everybody seated at the table. And then the toddler 
flips the tray over and the food scatters across the whole floor. The older kids scarf everything down in four minutes and then return to their previous domains. Or they complain about the meal that you worked very hard to create, and so you have to coax them into just a few more bites. And then, of course, there's all the things that have to happen after dinner. There's baths to do. There's that essay that has to be done for the next morning. There's those emails you didn't get finished up at the office. There's the PTA books to reconcile. Who has time to sit at the table and reflect? Who has time for sobre mesa in their day? And yet, there are others who find that they sit at their table every day with no one to reflect with. You see, that's needed too. A conversation partner, a friend, someone who can listen and share back. That's when we often are able to name those moments of resurrection in our lives, to articulate the grace around us, to awaken the hope that lies deep within but doesn't come to the surface until we have someone to talk about it with. So what happens when we are eating our meals alone. Obviously, this isn't just about physical eating and reflecting, but it serves as a metaphor for this time that we need, um, this pointless time, time for mind-wandering and for daydreaming, the time when you can have conversation that doesn't have a goal or an agenda to work through. It's in those moments, in those spaces, where we might just come to realize that we have been in the presence of the risen Lord. It's our hope that this space where we worship and these people who we gather with in this space is an opportunity for you to reflect and to encounter the risen one. It is my hope, and I know the hope of the other leaders within our church, that your participation in the community of faith is not just something else to accomplish or to achieve, but that it is time carved out. It is a place set aside where we remember who we are amidst our lives that try to convince us that who we are is our occupation, or our parenting, or our dating status, or whatever else keeps you grinding away so that there's never time to sit and reflect. The positioning of this table in our sanctuary, out here in front of the arch, it focuses our gaze to remind us that when we dine here, meeting with our Lord and with one another, we are claiming life in the face of death and the lies that come to us every day that say the only way to have life is to participate in death-dealing operations. We put the table here to proclaim the life that really is life and is free. I've said this before, but things that are important are worth repeating. 
This movement of the table forward has been an emphasis in the church for hundreds of years, since the time that John Calvin brought a reformed understanding of Christian faith to Geneva, Switzerland in the 1500s. We are descendants of that movement. Calvin pulled the table forward off the back wall because he wanted to communicate something with space and how we are to think about encountering God in physical space. For him, the table on the back wall looking like an altar in the temple where animals were sacrificed created a spatial awareness that when you celebrated the Lord's Supper, Christ was having to come down out of heaven to be re-sacrificed for us so that we could then dine on and with him. For him, that felt like grace then was temporary. For as Christ had to keep being sacrificed, then grace must not have been once and for all. And you better get to the table to get the meal because it's going to run out. And woe to you if you stay away for too long because that might mean that the grace runs out. That was not a radical enough understanding of grace for Calvin. So he took the altar and he pulled it forward in front and with the people. He stopped calling it an altar but a table. And he said that instead of Christ coming out of heaven to be re-sacrificed, when we come to his table, we are the ones lifted up into the very eternal presence of God. He puts it this way. But if we are lifted up to heaven with our eyes and minds to seek Christ there in the glory of his kingdom, as the symbols invite us to him in his wholeness, so under the symbol of bread we shall be fed by his body. Under the symbol of wine we shall separately drink his blood to enjoy him at last in his wholeness. When we come to this table, we are receiving a glimpse of heaven. We are feeding on and with the risen Christ. He invites us not to come to a penitential meal, but to a feast where we can delight in him. It is the story of Emmaus again and again. Now, some of you are saying, what in the world? Come on. This whole big reorientation of the chancel, this was just so that the choir could sit closer together and so that we'd have enough room in the chancel for the Christmas pageant set to go and all the shepherds and the wise men to be able to be on the steps at the same time. Isn't that all it is? No. Not at all. There is some mysterious dimension crossing when we gather here that we want to make sure we're communicating of time and space itself. But when confronted with trying to explain the physics of how that happened, Calvin himself responded, if anyone should ask me how this takes place, I shall not be ashamed to confess that it is a secret too lofty for either my mind to comprehend or my words to declare. And to speak more plainly, I rather experience it than understand it. Sobre mesa. To experience it rather than understand it. 
to feel our hearts afire with life, to know that we have stood before the resurrected one, to become a people of hospitality who invite and welcome and prepare and serve and risk transformation in a time of reflection. There is a world starving to know that power to be seen and celebrated. This is where God's future is created. And I want to eat at that welcome table. And I believe all the world does too. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.